0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Thank you, Isaac and Esther. I don't know about you, I love hearing prayers prayed and the Bible read in other languages. It just gives us such a, a sense of the beauty of the people of Jesus and the breadth of their cultures, and so really glad to, to hear that. My name is Dave. If uh, I haven't met you yet before, I'm a member here at Citizens Church, and it's, it's good to be with you this morning. If you're, if you're here for the first time, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online, great to have you with us as well. I, I don't know about you, but I, I love history, and if I have a favorite part of history, I love origin stories. And today, as as we turn together to Acts chapter 3, 13 rather, Acts chapter 13, not 3, but 13 would be good. So you go to Acts chapter 13, we're going to see the very first missionary journey commissioned by the church. And in many ways, that's our origin story. You and I are here today as followers of Jesus in the year 2023 in Plano, Texas, because of the fruitfulness and the faithfulness of this journey. One of the things that's really important for us as Citizens, even one of our key values is that we live on mission. When we say live on mission, we mean we join God in what he's doing in the world. And it's probably best depicted by this prayer that Jesus said, pray this way, when he says, Father, may, may, may your will be done on earth as, in, as it is in heaven. It's this idea that the kingdom of God is advancing and pushing back darkness. And we wanna be faithful to join Jesus and telling our neighbors and the nations about his good news we want to care for those who are needy um, and hurting in our communities we want to we want to seek justice we want to see Jesus proclaimed to be king everywhere which raises a question for me that we're going to look at today when we pray the prayer in light of God's mission of God use us what is it that we're really asking him to do What is it that God does when God uses us, or said differently, what is God's role on mission? And then the follow-up question is, then what are we to do? What does it mean for us to fulfill the role that God has for us in mission? I think we're going to see these, these questions answered today in Acts chapter 13. Let me pray one more time, and we'll jump into the text together. Father, thank you that no one, absolutely no one in this room, and no one joining us online is here by mistake today. According to the Lord Jesus, Father, you've called this meeting because you are seeking those who will worship you in spirit and truth. And that's what we want this time together to be. As we open up our Bibles, would you open up our hearts that we may worship you? Lord Jesus, thank you that you live the only perfect life that's ever been lived. You went to the cross and there you died in our place. And Lord Jesus, you are risen from the grave. You are at the right hand of God the Father. And one day one day soon you'll come back and you'll rule and you'll reign forever. God the Father and God the Son, thank you for sending us, God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, as we look today at the way in which you empower and enable mission, would you open our eyes to the things that you're calling us to? May we be people who don't just talk about mission, but we, may we be a people that are deeply engaged in mission for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Join with me in Acts chapter 13. We're going to work through this chapter. We're going to do it quickly, but we're going to work through the whole chapter today. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. What an incredible opening scene. Look at the diversity of people leading the church. You have ethnic diversity. You have some that are Hebrew and and, and probably have spent the entirety of their life within Israel. Then you have... African people represented. You've got this diverse group of people ethnically. They're diverse politically. Some would be loyalists, perhaps, to leadership in Israel, and some are separatists. You also have a diversity of gifts, those that are prophets and teachers. So, all this diversity, but there's unity in two things. They are devoted to the Lord in service. We find them in the opening scene worshiping. Now, that can mean different things in the Bible. Certainly, we're gathered together today in a worship service. But this type of use of the word worship has to do with these leaders serving. This is their service. They're actually leading the worship services. They're busy doing the things that Jesus has called them to do. And while they're doing that, the second thing that unifies them is they're dependent on the Holy Spirit. They're fasting and they're praying. And when you and I fast, in essence, what we're saying is we are hungry for God. We're saying, Jesus, what we need right now, more than even more caloric intake and nourishment and protein and anything else, we need you. If anything good is going to be in our lives, Lord Jesus, we need you. And so they're fasting. They're they're, they're devoted to service. They are dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit speaks. And he says, I want Paul and Barnabas to be sent out for the work that I've called them to. The leaders, again, pray, and they send them out. And the The origin of the sending is so clearly the person of the Holy Spirit, that when they're sent out, it's claimed that they are sent by the Holy Spirit. When you and I engage in mission, what does God do and what is our role? What does God do? The first thing I want you to see this morning, if you're taking notes, is simply this. The Holy Spirit sends. The God of the Bible is a triune God. Three persons, one God, co-eternal, co-equal, co-worthy of worship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sends. Jesus has already told his disciples, here's the big plan. Here's the big picture, if you will. Here's the executive summary. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea, then to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's given them a basic outline. The Holy Spirit fills in the details. The Holy Spirit says to the church, I want these two men, and I want them to be sent out. The Holy Spirit sends. I'll give you some amazing examples that that's the case here, that the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing today, and he's done it here at Citizens Church. Uh, you just saw one example before you on the, the video monitor. Isaac and Esther serving in a, in a beautiful place. I'm going to butcher the name of this place, so forgive me, but it, sa- it sounds like Maui. Maui, I just probably have Hawaii on the brain. Maui's not the right name. It's like Maui Mohoi, so ask someone who's from there. They'll give you the right name, but it's a really strategic place in Africa, specifically Kenya and East Africa. Where there's a trans-African highway, and any place you know where there's a lot of transportation, oftentimes there's a lot of human trafficking. It's a place that experiences the ravage of human trafficking and prostitution and drug abuse and alcoholism. And the Holy Spirit has called Isaac and Esther to care for children that are suffering from that and and through the uh, Rift Valley Hope communities and from that they've also planted a church and so the Holy Spirit put upon their hearts to go the church is gathered and citizens has sent these wonderful people to do an important work there and you and I can participate as a matter of fact there's, there's a table when you're done today that you can go and Isaac and Esther right now are in need of financial support so maybe that's something the Holy Spirit would put on your heart today But that's not the only example. Last Sunday I had one of of the most amazing ministry experiences I've ever had in my life at Mission House Church right here in West Plano. Mission House Church was uh, founded and planted by Kevin and Lisa Evans. If you haven't met them, they're amazing. Kevin and Lisa had a burden for people in Plano who are are not not native in their culture here. They're not native Texans who come from all over the world. And and they want to provide for them a different type of church because chances are they're not likely to show up here on a Sunday. And so they have this house church. And as I got to share about the Good Samaritan last week and really talk about the gospel of Jesus, it was amazing, the diversity of the room. People from all over the world. And in particular, I caught the attention of of a young man who's Muslim, and he's just there to kind of learn about Jesus. And I thought, what an incredible opportunity. Two people that God the Holy Spirit has spoke to and said, Go plant a church in Plano, a house church. And they, they brought that to the leadership of this church, and we're being sent out together. There's other examples out here in, in the lobby today I don't want you to miss. There is City Bridge um, Urgent Care, where they lead with the gospel of Jesus and they provide medical care for people who don't have insurance right here in Plano, people who are desperate for medical care. And if you're a medical provider or you like to, uh, you're good with administration or you, you're good at, Whatever it is you're good at, they need your help. Perhaps the Holy Spirit would send you to join them. Here's a really awesome opportunity. Peyton Esparza, who has faithfully served our student ministry, has since the Holy Spirit setting her up to be a mobilizer. But the Holy Spirit would use her to mobilize us to go to the nations with the gospel of Jesus. And she's raising support, and right now she's really, really close. Maybe the Holy Spirit would put on your heart this morning to go and help her finish up her task of raising support. She'll be out in the lobby afterwards. As many of you know Don and Brenda Holmes. Again, the Holy Spirit has sent them. They live here, but he's sent them to lead mission trips to the Amazon. And they're constantly taking people there, and they're furthering the gospel of Jesus. Holy Spirit sins. We are a sent people, and it's the Holy Spirit who guides and directs us on mission with Jesus. Are we being directed by the Holy Spirit this morning? Are you being directed by the Holy Spirit this morning? There's clarity of what he's called you to do, and you're just... You're struggling with that a little bit. Maybe you're lacking courage. Maybe there's a sense of uncertainty. Maybe you're plagued by doubt. Would you share that with others? That's why we're in community together, so we can confirm and encourage one another and work together towards that which the Holy Spirit has called us to do. The Holy Spirit sins. Now, we're going to move quickly through this chapter. So next scene, and spoiler alert, it's going to get really weird. Verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. What a name. He was with a proconsul, here's a better name, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, there's the cause, ready for this, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas go out; they begin to proclaim the gospel, and immediately they run into opposition. Alimus the magician, and Paul, filled by the Holy Spirit, speaks very strong words. Like this is pretty harsh, right? We would all agree. Maybe this is a biblical version of a mean tweet. Like this is this is rough language. And then Paul rebukes and he disciplines this magician. And then the proconsul, seeing the power of the Holy Spirit manifested through Paul's ministry, believes in the teaching of Jesus. One of the patterns you would see if you had time to read this book in its entirety is oftentimes when the followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit, what immediately ensues is strong language, bold language, language that's very clear about sin and righteousness and repentance and faith in the person of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. What is it that God does when we join him on mission? The Holy Spirit sins. Here's the second thing he does. The Holy Spirit strengthens. He empowers. He emboldens. He gives us a courage that's not naturally ours. Church, we need that more than ever today, don't we? As we live in a culture that's growingly becoming more and more post-Christian, you take real risk if you're going to speak out about sin and the person of Jesus. None of us wants to be canceled, but that's the reality of the culture that we live in today. And my fear is that we're going to draw back. My fear is those who've been entrusted with the only message by which people can be saved, we're going to draw back and we're going to stop speaking up because we're afraid of the hostility and the opposition and perhaps even the labels we might wear because we speak strongly about sin and repentance and the gospel of Jesus. I don't want us to be caustic. I don't want us to be combative. I don't want us to be condemning, but let's not be cowardly. Let's be courageous. Let me show you how this works practically. I was involved in a church plant in the the Albuquerque area, right next to the University of New Mexico, about 20 years ago. And we knew we were moving into a community where most people were going to be hostile towards any form of organized religion. And that's what we ran into. And yet Jesus, as he always does, he he shows up and he drew people to himself. And it was Easter Sunday, and a woman named Lenore came to check out our church. First time she had been there. And uh, she decided not to stay, and she wrote a letter to our underground newspaper called The Alibi, right? Every big community has an underground newspaper. I think in Dallas it's The Observer. I'm not suggesting you rely upon that for your news, but so she writes a letter in The Alibi, and this is her letter. She writes Dear Alibi, on Easter morning, I decided to find a church I could walk to since I am new to Albuquerque and do not yet have a church. I chose City on a Hill, that was a church, at the Lobo Theater. When I arrived, I found the lobby bustling with a wonderful diversity of individuals. And after speaking with a dear woman, this is a woman, Barb, who loved Jesus. She was a leader in our church. After speaking with a dear woman of genuine compassion and warmth, I asked a question that would determine whether I would stay for the worship service or spend this Easter morning absent from those who share my love of Christ. When I asked her if City on a Hill was gay friendly, I was told that as I came to know Christ more deeply, I would likely choose celibacy since the homosexual lifestyle was unbiblical. To be fair, I was also told I'd be welcomed into the church regardless. The woman with whom I spoke was genuinely compassionate. When I asked her how she would feel if she could express her love for her husband in every way possible, except physically, she spoke in the context of, quote, a legitimate relationship, unquote. When I told her of my commitment to my partner of 15 years and how I'd gladly marry her if the law allowed, the law has since changed we reached a sad impasse. Both of us had tears in our eyes. She took my hand. She begged me to stay. I found it difficult to walk out that door on Easter morning. That's what it looks like to speak the truth in love. It's what it looks like to be encouraged, to be honest about sin and separation from God, but also at the same time in love to offer the hope of Jesus. The Holy Spirit strengthens We live in this opportune time where culture is moving further and further away from some of the basic ethics of Christianity and our temptation is to step back and to hide and and, and uh, wanting to avoid labels and condemnation from a culture around us. We don't want to be canceled and yet may the Holy Spirit give us bold courage to speak the truth of Jesus to the people who desperately need to hear it. The Holy Spirit strengthens The very next day after she wrote this letter, a young man came to my office and said, I read that letter. I need help. I don't want to keep going down the path I'm going. I'm thankful that there are people who will be able to help me. Are we strengthened by the Holy Spirit? Are you personally strengthened by the Holy Spirit? Do you need his strength, his empowerment, his emboldening power, his encouragement that you can have the conversations that you need to have, both with people who know Jesus and people who don't yet? Now, let's move quickly. Let's move quickly all the way to the end of this chapter. The Holy Spirit sends, the Holy Spirit strengthens. Come with me all the way down to verse 44. You can read all the in-between parts. They're important. But in view of time, we're going to move quickly today will you see something else God the Holy Spirit does on mission. Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, "'It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, "'since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life.'" Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This is a scene that happens a lot in the book of Acts. I wouldn't endorse it as a method or a strategy of evangelism for us, but everywhere Paul goes, He engages in riot evangelism. Everybody in the city gets worked up. There's this scene where everybody's coming into the village square, fighting one another. Then Paul steps up and says, now that I have you all here, let me tell you about Jesus. Two types of people in the anthropology of the New Testament. There are are those of Jewish descent, descendants of Abraham, connected to the Old Testament, practicing Judaism, and then everyone else who are collectively referred to as Gentiles. And Paul's practices go first to the Jews because of biblical conviction, preach the gospel first there, and when they reject, and if they reject, then he goes and he shares with the Gentiles. And that's what's happening here. And you have these people that are not religious people, they're probably not even monotheists. And they hear the word of Jesus and miraculously they believe. They glorify the word of the Lord. They believe. And then we have this statement that's so theologically important. I don't want you to miss it. It's tucked away at the end of verse 48. It says this, and as many, let me say it rightly, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Church, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit saves Now, let me explain exactly how that happens, because I know what you're thinking. Well, Jesus saves, and God the Father saves. Yes, yes, and yes, it's all true. Salvation, we believe, start to finish is a work of God, and all three persons of the triune God are involved. God the Father, according to Scripture, decrees in eternity past those who would belong to him, not based on their merit, not based on their actions, entirely because he's a good and loving and merciful God who desires to make himself known to people. God the Son, Jesus, takes on human flesh. He lives the only perfect life that's ever been lived. He goes to the cross, is our perfect, blameless, substitute sacrifice, and he dies in our place for our sin. Then he's raised from the dead. So God the Father decrees in eternity past our salvation. God the Son achieves it. Then God the Holy Spirit applies the finished work of Jesus to our lives. Do you see this? It's the work of the Holy Spirit that these people believe. He's taking the finished work of Jesus, and he's applying it to their lives in radical ways so that they are what we'd call converted. They're changed, even in their basic identity. They were apart from Christ. Now they're in Christ. They're enemies of God. Now they're reconciled. They're sons and daughters of God through the perfect work of Jesus applied by God, the Holy Spirit. We call that ministry of the Holy Spirit regeneration simply means you and I are spiritually dead. If we come to know Jesus, it's not just that we wake up one morning and in our own strength and our own senses think, you know what, Jesus is true, I'm going to choose him today. That's not the way it happens. We're dead, which means dead people can't respond, but the Holy Spirit, he makes us alive, and the evidence of his regenerative work in us is that we do believe. The Holy Spirit saves My wife and I have four daughters. They're all adults. Our oldest is here today. Um, I won't tell how old you are because they probably wouldn't appreciate that, but they're adults now. And our two oldest daughters, uh, when they were early uh, preschool kids, Karen and I really didn't understand completely biblically the the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. So we created this family tradition. It went something like this. On their fifth birthday, we invited everybody who could come from the extended family over to the house The girls got to pick their favorite meal that Kara would make. We'd sit around the table, we'd eat. Then after dinner, here's how the tradition went. We'd say, daughter, Lisa, Lauren, do you wanna ask Jesus in your heart tonight before we go outside and we hit the pinata and then we eat the birthday cake and we open up presents? Now I think in their five-year-old little minds, the thought was, well, yeah, I do. If it's the gateway into all these other things, sure. You know, I'll invite Jesus into my heart. And so they invited Jesus into the heart. We prayed a prayer and then we hit the pinata and we ate the cake. And we opened up presents, and the day only got worse after that. I don't know if it was the sugar or Satan, but it was not a good end of the day. I don't know what that is about our little kids. Their worst day is always their birthday, and the second worst day is Christmas. You can explain that to me. I've yet to figure that out. With my grandkids, it's kind of cute now, but it wasn't when I was a parent. In other words, we'd watch them, and after this prayer that they prayed, there was really no life transformation. They weren't more interested in the Bible. They weren't kinder to their sisters. There was no change. And we began to realize we don't want to raise religious kids. We want our kids to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So we kept teaching the Bible. We didn't back off, and we kept sharing the gospel, and we waited. We waited for that moment when the Holy Spirit moved upon their hearts, and they came to us, and they said, I'm wrecked by my sin." mom, dad, I need a savior, I need Jesus. Do you actually know that there are scientists who study conversion, Christian conversion, the Lilly Foundation commissioned a study, and they found in Christian conversion, most people describe two things going on simultaneously. Number one is this dreadful realization of sin. This thought of, I'm ruined, oh no, I finally see myself for who I really am in the sight of God, and it's not pretty. I've sinned against God. I'm estranged from him. And yet, at the same time, they feel this almost paradoxical feeling of, and yet he's drawing him to to himself through Jesus. He's accepting me. He's loving me. He's caring for me. He wants me. He can change me. He can forgive me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. Are you praying for the people in your families, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your apartment complex, in the workplace, are you praying that the Holy Spirit would change their hearts? Karen and I, every Sunday when we drive here, we come up Kuwait, it's not a very long drive, maybe 15 minutes, we, we, we go through our list of all the people that we know that we love that don't know Jesus. We just pray the Holy Spirit would take the finished work of Jesus and apply it to their hearts. And we pray, and it's so funny because she's so passionate about evangelism. You know, if we have 20 names, she covers 19 of them and leaves me one. And so i hey, pray for Joe, and thank you, Jesus, amen. Which is good because I close my eyes when I pray and I shouldn't be driving. (laughs) For whom are you praying? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to change somebody's heart? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to take the amazing, perfect work of Jesus and apply it to someone's life. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, Dave? I think I'm right in that space in which you're describing what the Holy Spirit does. I I have this new sense in my life of guilt and conviction over my sin, but I also see Jesus for who he is and I'm drawn to him and I can't explain it. That was my experience as a middle schooler. Maybe that's where you are today. Let me encourage you right here, right now, turn from your sin. That's the word repentance. It simply means turn away from living apart from God trust in Jesus. He is all that he says he is. He will take your sin and in exchange for your sin, he'll give you his perfect right standing. He'll forgive you. He'll give you his righteousness and he'll free you to live a new life. Would you do that now? Turn from sin, trust in him, and then do one other thing for me. Before you leave today, would you tell somebody about that? Maybe somebody you came with, maybe some of the staff that are here, you can, you can see them with their, their, their little nameplates, uh, maybe one of the elders. There are going to be women and men up front to pray for you after this service today. Let someone know, I became a Christian today. The Holy Spirit, he, he sins, and the Holy Spirit strengthens and the Holy Spirit saves. Here's the last thing I want you to see that he does. Let's finish this story up. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. But the Jews, incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But Barnabas shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's a concerning end to the story, isn't it? Paul and Barnabas go to this place, people who've never heard about Jesus. They tell them about Jesus. And before they can disciple them, before they can catechize them, before they can really ground them in the truths of who Jesus is through the scriptures of the Old Testament, persecution arises. They're driven away. They shake the dust off their feet as a sign of judgment against those who are chasing them away. And they leave. And these brand-new baby Christians, these brand-new disciples are left without any leadership whatsoever. But look at them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And because they're filled with the Holy Spirit in the midst of this seeming disaster, they're joyful. Here's the fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does on mission. The Holy Spirit sustains. The Holy Spirit sustains. They're going to be okay. Why? Because they have God indwelling them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to give them everything they need to know in order to grow in their newfound faith in Jesus because that's what he does. You being sustained by the Holy Spirit this morning? Maybe this is a really dark season. Maybe your circumstances are unbearable. Maybe you're in that place where you're hearing voices all around you say, deconstruct your faith, walk away, step away. This can't be true. If you're here today... And you're trusting in Jesus, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is sustaining you. You want some good news? If he's sustaining you today, he'll sustain you tomorrow, and he will sustain you all the way until eternity. The Bible says this about the Holy Spirit, that he's God's security money. He's God's down deposit. That God is saying to us, start to finish, I will see salvation all the way through, and to, in order for you to know that I'm earnest about what I'm going to do, here's my Earnest money in the form of my spirit. My spirit will dwell with you forever. And if I'm with you, you're going to be all right. The Holy Spirit sustains. Did you see what happened last month in uh, Syria and Turkey? Just a horrible earthquake. Devastating results. Thousands of people displaced. Thousands and thousands of people dead. I work with Acts 29 and... Citizens Church is a part of Acts We we're a global church planting movement. We plant churches worldwide, and we have churches in Turkey. And we have a leader there, a guy named Karim, who actually works closely with all of our churches in Turkey, cares for them. And we had scheduled in April a global church conference at Karim's church in Turkey. So Philip, who leads our global part of our organization, called Karim and said, how are things, brother? And he said, things are terrible here. He said, There's not a person in any one of our churches who isn't bereaved. We've lost people from our churches in the earthquake. They died, they perished, and yet, and also, we have people in our church. Everyone's lost a brother, a sister, a parent, a child. So Philip says to him, Well, I think maybe we ought to go ahead and postpone the conference in April. And Karim says, Not in your life. He said, We can't wait for you to come here. There's so many things we want to encourage you with. Don't miss coming. There's so many good things we want to share. We want to build you up, brother. How do you explain that? How does that happen? How does a church lose so many members and living in one of the worst disasters, natural disasters in, in, in recent history and the church is sustained? How does that happen? That's the work of God through his Holy Spirit. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit sustains. The Holy Spirit saves. He strengthens. He sins. Now, what about us? When we say, God, use us, and that's the prayer we pray at Citizens Church as we talk about living on mission. When we say, God, use us, what responsibility do we have? What's our part in this equation? Let's go back to the very beginning of this story, and I want to draw your attention one more time to two things. The leaders at Antioch that began this movement, as instructed by the Holy Spirit, were committed to do things. They were devoted to Jesus in service, and they were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They weren't simply waiting around to be directed. They got busy doing the things they knew Jesus wanted them to do. Do you realize this morning, everyone in this room who is a follower of Jesus has a specific role to play in God's great plan of mission, every single one of you. As a matter of fact, Every single one of you has been endowed with a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit that you have a role to play in this church and beyond so that we all grow up together towards the maturity the fullness of Christ. So whether you're being sent or whether you're sending, everyone has a role to play. Step one and what's expected of us is let's get busy with our role by the grace of God for the glory of God. For you this morning, maybe the next step you need to take is consider membership in this church. Maybe you're here as a member, and what you needed to do is go to connections and just go up to the desk and say, Hey, I want to find out where I can serve. What can I do? How can I help? Some of you may serve in formal ways, some of you may serve in informal ways. All of us need to be serving so that collectively we grow to fullness and maturity. That's exactly what these leaders were doing when the Holy Spirit spoke to them. They were simply doing what Jesus had already told them to do. Are you? We need you, we need each other. God doesn't need us, but he chooses us, and he wants us to be with him, but we need each other. Here's the second thing that you see them doing. Maybe this isn't all the things we can do, but here's two things. We can be devoted to Jesus in service. The second thing we can do is be dependent on the Holy Spirit. They were fasting. They were giving up food because they realized food wasn't going to fuel this mission. The only way that all the things they were praying for and long to see happen, the only way any of those things would happen is if the Holy Spirit did them. So they're fasting and they're praying. Dependence on the Holy Spirit is a lifelong posture. I love what the last month has meant to this church, that we've fasted and we've prayed and we've sought the Lord's will together. And really what we're saying collectively is, Jesus, we need help. We need to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we need you to, to send us and to strengthen us, and we need you to save the lost, and we need you to sustain us so that we might be on mission with God. What does it look like for us to be dependent on the Holy Spirit? What does that mean in our private lives? What does that look like in our collective life together? God has invited us to join him on an amazing mission. And it's a mission in which he does the heavy lifting. God, the Holy Spirit, he sends, he strengthens, he saves. He does all that and he sustains. And he invites us to join him because he loves us. And he wants us to see his glory more profoundly. Who's in? Who's in? Who's in this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together today. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the one who does all the heavy lifting. You're the one who fords the mission of Jesus. And you indwell us and you compel us and you invite us to join in that work. I pray for each man, each woman, each girl, each boy in this room today that we have a clear sense of the role that we play on mission. And Holy Spirit, would you fill us fresh. If anyone came to faith in Jesus for the first time today, Holy Spirit, would you give them the courage and strength to speak to someone else and share that decision? We are a sent people, Lord Jesus. You have placed us here in Plano, Texas, in 2023, and you brought the nations to our doorstep, and you're calling us to the nations. May we be faithful. May we be like those who preceded us, and may we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, step out in obedience and be courageous and bold knowing how the story ends. That one day we will gather together with people representing every tongue and every tribe. And gather around the Lord Jesus and worship him forever. Sustain us until then. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.